We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? This is the Uncontested Podcast, covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. This podcast is ran by Jacob, Nick, Justin, Taylor, and Kamiar. Listen to future episodes on your favorite podcast streaming service, like iTunes or Spotify. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating. This is Lou Dort. You're listening to the Uncontested What is up? Welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the official podcast of BoomtownHoops.com. I'm your host, Jacob Niffin. I've got co-host Taylor Peterson along with me tonight. Pulled a LeBron today and uh, texted Jacob before this podcast telling him it was the most important podcast of my entire life. Just so this podcast turns out well. I love it. We are also joined tonight by Alex Wolf. He is the editor-in-chief of the Strickland the host, co-host of the Locked On Knicks podcast, and he writes for the PT Knicks blog, part of the SB Nation. Alex, how's it going, man? It's going good, guys. Uh, happy to talk with some fans of a different team about someone <laughs> you know other than the Knicks. I feel like everything in my life revolves around the Knicks, which is really hard when we're in like month six, seven. Oh, that's true. I, I've you lost count your of team our offseason. Yeah, it's ugly. So this is great. I'm I'm very much looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, I think every team that we've talked to so far, uh, doing these trade calls, have been teams that have been in the bubble. So that's actually really interesting because I hadn't even considered that. 
what has it been like from your perspective as somebody who podcasts and writes about the Knicks to not have basketball since March 11th? Uh, and and to just to be, I mean, obviously you guys have had a, a coaching hire, uh, a lot of staff hired on, et cetera, et cetera. But that's a long ass time without basketball. That yeah, the thing time. about the Knicks is like they're always in the news because um, even like national media can't really keep the Knicks out of their mouth at any given time. Uh, so, you know, everything the Knicks do is under a microscope for whatever reason. Uh, so we kind of always have something to talk about. Uh, we're also sort of like blessed and cursed by having a really, really robust beat uh, for this team. Like, I don't know what it's like in like OKC and whatever, but like we have, God, like five, six, seven like oh, yeah. beat oh, reporters yeah. on the team. And big time beat reporters too, um, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, we got Bagley, Ian Bagley of SNY. We got uh, Stefan Bondi of the Daily News. Jonathan Macri, a good friend of mine, who writes the Knicks Film School newsletter, has been dropping news. Uh, Mark Berman, New York Post, like uh, Chris Eisman of the Bergen Record, and uh, Steve Popper in Newsday. I think I just named them all. Good kudos to me. I know all my. <laughs> That's favorites. impressive. Yeah. They um, but yeah, we got we got lots of you know lots of guys reporting on the team at all times. Lots of guys you know bringing out sourced info and whatever. And I mean, I think that the. The writers and the you know the newsbreakers of the market understand that the fans are hungry for stuff all the time about this team, and they certainly feed the fan base pretty often. Uh, and it's kind of up to us to sort of sift through some of the rumors and be like, well, which ones of these are legit? Which ones probably aren't? Kind of um, like content, or kind of like, which ones are legit and which one are like clickbait? Is that fair? More or, or less, yeah. Like trying to figure yeah. out like what's what rumors have legs and which ones probably don't. You know, right, which one? Right. And, and we're constantly in this struggle of trying to figure out like why did this info get out? Like who would want this out in the ether? You know, like is this from the Knicks? Is this from some other team trying to put the clamps on the Knicks? Like who knows? Because right. honestly, like I think. The Knicks beat, you know, they're all pretty well connected, not just in the the New York area, but some of them around the league. Um, like Bagley, in particular, worked under Woj for a while. Exactly. I think he's, he has I think he's pretty well connected around the league. He's broken. He's he's broke news before. Um, yeah. So you know, I, I think that these guys have sources all around the NBA. So then we're constantly finding ourselves asking, like, well, is this from some other team? Like, is this from the Knicks themselves? But. I mean, we just had Bagley on Locked on Knicks a few days ago, and he more or less said, like, his impression of the new front office is that they're completely tight-lipped. And, you know, there's that's very good. little information getting out right now. So See, that that's fascinating because you were talking about having to sift through rumors, which is something foreign to us because the <laughs> Thunder are notoriously, like, the most conservative front office in the league in that nothing ever leaks. Like, you don't know a trade has happened until they're already on the phone with the league office, like doing all the the, Paul the George, talks and stuff. Carmelo well, Anthony, both yeah, Paul George trades. Yeah, like you know, those came out of no. There was no rumors about anything like that at all because Serge like, Ibaka. the Thunder are, are, yeah are so 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 tight lipped that you know nothing ever leaks. That thing is water sealed tight, and so it's fascinating to hear that like. You get all that content, all these rumors that you get to sift through. Is this bullshit? Is this not? And we're over here like doing redraft because we have no rumors <laughs> to actually talk about. Yeah. Coming up with yeah, like hypothetical like, uh, coaching candidates. Because- yeah. 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 Good luck with that. That's yeah, always right. fun. Um, 
just went through that ourselves uh, <laughs> recently, which was, of course, like a whole fiasco. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, and you know, I, I honestly, I I hope for a front office that is more stingy, like Oklahoma City. Like that would be my dream is to not have to sift through all these rumors constantly. But it is what it is. Like I'm not. I'm not really complaining. It kind of makes my life easier as someone who has to constantly be working on news about the team to have something to talk about. But it does yeah, for at sure. times get a little exhausting. Definitely. Well, hey, let's keep on that theme there then. You just mentioned, you know, the Knicks went through a coaching search and a coaching hire, uh, obviously deciding on Tom Thibodeau as the new coach. What are your feelings on hiring Tibbs? Obviously, I think around the league, the feeling is, you don't hire Tibbs for a rebuilding team. You hire Tibbs right. for a, a team that's going to be competitive, which would probably mean the Knicks are going to have to make some moves. So what are your thoughts on the hire of Tibbs, and then how does that influence the direction of the team moving forward? So, you know, if this was like back in the interviewing stages and stuff when, you know, really all the Knicks were looking for was a head coach, I might agree with that, you know, that, okay, yeah, hiring Tibbs probably means looking to compete sooner than later, um, Kenny Atkinson was largely considered the runner-up for the job, and a lot of people thought like, oh, if you hire Kenny, you're hiring for development, and if you hire Tibbs, you're hiring with winning more in your mind sooner than later. But I think that's kind of been put to bed a little bit by, A, how the Knicks are talking uh, since the hiring of Tibbs, uh, even dating back to his intro presser, where they, they've stressed a lot that they want to see what they can get out of the young players on this team, um, that they value their draft capital, and all that sort of stuff. And on top of it, you know, since hiring Tibbs, they didn't give him carte blanche to hire his own staff. Um, they insisted on some various people to fill out his staff. And, he, you know, I assume that was part of the negotiations when they were interviewing him saying, look, we don't want to just let you hire your, all your own staff. We have some guys in mind that we want to bring in as developmental coaches and stuff. And that's why they went out. Uh, they hired Mike Woodson, who obviously is the former head coach of the Knicks, but uh, had served most recently with the Clippers under Doc Rivers. Um, they brought him on to be sort of Tibbs's lead assistant on the bench. And then they brought in uh, Kenny Payne from Kentucky to be one of their developmental coaches, uh, University of Kentucky. Strong tie there to um, Kevin Knox, correct? Yeah. And, you know, to Kevin Knox, to that. Julius Randle, who's on the team as well. Oh, and Julius, um, yeah, right. Plus, like, every big man to come out of Kentucky for the last, I don't know, 15 years? I don't know. Uh, they all seem to have something nice to say about him. And then they hired Johnny Bryant uh, off of Utah, who you know has worked closely with Donovan Mitchell um, and a number of other guys on that team. He's more of a guard-focused coach from what it seems like. Uh, but he's kind of a young up-and-comer. Up and he's only 35 years old, uh, but he's already kind of now. I, I, I would assume that you know coming to the Knicks came with not just a pay raise, but also some sort of a, uh, a title increase you know that's just kind of how things work in the nba so he's one of their lead development coaches now um so i I think that i think maybe the you hire tibbs because you want to win thing maybe was a valid concern to start with but i think at this point it's been a little overplayed because i think everything the knicks have done since hiring tibbs says hey if we get an opportunity to maybe you know bring on someone who's going to help us win sooner than later we will but we're not going to sacrifice the young players on the team for it and we're not going to sacrifice future draft or potentially cap flexibility in pursuit of that either 
So at least that's my impression. That's interesting. Um, and I think that's great perspective. You know, that's why we wanted to have you on because, you know, it just for, from the outsider looking in, uh, just the uh, an NBA fan that's not like specifically focused on the Knicks, you know, like Jake kind of talked about, if you're hiring Tibbs, you kind of feel like it's a win now move. Um, so with all that being said, Alex, what, what are your expect, expectations for this next year? Um, as you said, you don't necessarily view that as a win now, or, you know, we must win now, make all these moves kind of a situation. Um, you see Tibbs being able to develop some of these young guys and, and bring out the best in them, which I think is correct. I think Tibbs is a great coach and can definitely do that. So what are your expectations for the Knicks moving forward this next season? You know, I think it's pretty much sort of just what you were saying in a way. Like, I just want to see some some improvement. And I'm not like asking you to say, well, you know, I think we're going to lose uh, in the first round this year in, you know, five <laughs> games to the Milwaukee Bucks. Like, I, it doesn't I have to be that specific. <laughs> so I've been flip-flopping. Like, it's such a long off season that I've had so much time to come up with things that I want out of the Knicks and then completely change my mind about them about 10 times now. And what I've settled on most uh, now is that so I, I don't know. I'm sure you guys saw the report that Michelle Roberts from the uh, NBA Players Association, right, was you know saying, "Oh, we expect we're shooting for an 82 game season next year. We think that you know there's not going to be too much of a hang up as far as setting uh, free agency up and getting the cap numbers sorted and blah blah blah. We expect next year to be more or less business as usual and start early in 2021. I don't buy for a second that there's going to be an 82 game season." There's just no way logistically to make it happen because, like, three things are in consideration there. One, you're cutting off the first – even if you started on January 1st, you're cutting off the first two and a half months of the season right? Um, to start. And so what are you going to do? Have these guys playing, like, back-to-back-to-back-to-backs? Like, it, there's just no way to, to make it work logistically that's not going to put the health of the players at risk after what was already a late-running season uh, that's now taking us into mid-October – and then, you know, you've got the Olympics to contend with, right. which got postponed this year into next year. So you can't do a bubble next year, at least not if you want Team USA to field the best team that it can, uh, unless you want to just go pre-Dream Team era and just throw the best team of college players you can out there. But even them, a lot of them probably wouldn't want to potentially sacrifice their, you know, their NBA draft stock and stuff going to play for Team USA in the Olympics. Um, and then the, the third thing is that sooner than later, the NBA is going to want to get back on track and hopefully i mean fingers crossed we don't know what's going to happen with covid but get butts and seats yeah i mean hopefully by this time next year we'll be prepping for a normal 2021 to 22 nba season and to do that you can't have another you, you would not be able to start an 82 game season on january 1st and then start the season backwards supposed to start at the end of 2021 uh you know, if you do a full length season. So all that is to say, I'm sorry, that was like a huge like interlude, but um, my, my sort of expectations for the Knicks now have just sort of become like, I am okay with taking a quick 40 game regular season punch to the face of losing one more time next year to secure a high pick in next year's super stack draft with Cade Cunningham, who's, a guy that a lot of people are already likening. Hey, to like Luka, keep your Luka. hands off. 
He's ours. Yeah, hey, hey. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll trade you a couple first rounders for him, but he's ours. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there's K- oh yeah, I forget. That's that's like very near and dear to you guys because he's going to OK State, right? Hey, we're ready. Yeah, he, punch in the face. He's gonna be playing college ball about forty lost seasons. An hour, hour and fifteen minutes away from Oklahoma City. Yeah, there you I go. can guarantee so, you, Sam Presti is gonna. He's going to have like a hotel room like on Stillwater. Up in Stillwater. <laughs> He's going to get him a dorm room. <laughs> well, even if no. it's not Cade, so even if the Knicks, you know, whatever. There, you. There's, yeah, there's Cade, there's uh, Jalen Green, there's Jonathan Kuminga, um, there's uh, Jalen Springer, there's like 15 Jalens. Um, yeah, no uh, kidding. Uh, Zaire Williams, like all these other guys coming out next year that I haven't done nearly enough work on yet, but I know based off all the smart people that I talked to about the draft, are super, super talented. Um, I would rather the Knicks just roll with their young players, let these development coaches you know, earn their stripes and show that they were worth the surely sizable contracts that the Knicks paid them, um, and just see what the Knicks have in their young players. Because like, I'm sure you guys will run into this sooner than later too because of some of the young players that you got in the – um, in the various deals and the guys that you're going to draft over the next few years. But, like, when you're rebuilding, there's an expiration date on young cores. You know, like, they cease being a young core that's cost-controlled and appealing and gives you cap flexibility and everything once their rookie contracts expire and you have to decide whether to pay especially them Especially on their – and that's such a great point, not to interrupt you, just to add on yeah. to that, especially um, with their talent – depending on their talent level – Exactly, um, and how quickly that talent develops. It's a great yeah. point. Yeah, and you have to be able to you have to be able to make proper decisions about how much to pay them, uh, what they're going to be worth years down the line, even if they're not fully developed yet, and stuff like that. So in that regard, I mean, the Knicks have they're already running into one of those this offseason, where they have Damian Dotson, who's a restricted free agent, uh, who's on the older side. He's actually like 25, 26 years old because he came into the league at like twenty three. Um, but, you know, he's, like, sort of the first domino to fall here. And then next summer, you're going to have Dennis Smith Jr. and Frank, Frank. Nolkina yep. are both going to enter restricted free agency. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, because of the unique nature of his contract, will probably be – you'll probably have to give him an extension next summer uh, rather than seeing his fourth year of his rookie deal through because then that would allow him to become an unrestricted free agent rather than restricted, uh, which you don't want to happen because – a, it's going to piss his agent off, who's Rich Paul, who we know is like the most piss-offable agent on and, the market. And in a big market like New York, you do not want to do that. That's a yeah, you don't want to deal so with that true. with the one young player you got. So probably going to end up paying him sooner than later, which is going to mean next offseason, letting him hit restricted free agency, and then either set his own market or just be like, please just hold off for a couple weeks, let us do what we want in free agency, and then we'll sign you. Right, um, right. Give us some leanway here. Exactly. But uh, So there's that to consider. And then you know after that, then there's Knox the following summer. And then uh, uh, R.J. Barrett, obviously, is a, a, quite a ways off. But it's things you have to start thinking about now. So I would rather play Dennis Smith Jr., Frank Nilekina. You know, Mitchell Robinson, I don't think you really need to play too much to see what he's capable of, but you do need to play him to see what kind of contract he's going to command next. Um, I would rather just roll with those guys, see what we have, and if you lose a bunch of games, you lose a bunch of games. But, like, it's the first year of a new front office, new coach, everything else. Nobody's leash is so short that they're going to get fired over a bad season this year. So take your lumps, get the top prospect. I don't think any huge free agents are coming to the Knicks next year anyway. 
So just keep being smart with your cap space going forward. And then maybe in a couple years when you have, you know, hopefully a fully developed or more developed RJ Barrett, a fully developed Mitchell Robinson and a fully developed 2021 pick plus whoever you take this year, you know, whoever that may end up being at number eight, then you can start thinking about the moves that are going to really put you over the top. But I would rather probably not, I don't want to say tank, but the reality is, is if they just play their young players and stuff, they're not going to It's going to happen great. naturally. Yeah. It's yeah. natural tanking. And that's what exactly. we expect the Thunder to do as well. Uh, exactly. A few, few interesting thoughts on what you just said there. Um, I definitely see where you're coming from as far as next season being a little bit off. Now, I may be totally wrong with this, and if I am, call me out. But I think Michelle Roberts, not in the in the podcast that she did with The Athletic, but in the interview she did for the piece, I think she mentioned something about this possibly being the start of them permanently restructuring the NBA calendar to not compete as with much the with NFL. the NFL. Yes, she did. Yep. And I mean – and they've talked about that, I think, for a number of years where potentially treating um, Christmas Day as the opening day yeah. of the NBA season. And that might be good. I mean, but that's that's going to take some collective bargaining. Uh, Definitely. The players like because, their summers. Yeah, players like their summer, But, and I mean, so it would presumably <laughs> give them a longer summer. But then I don't, I don't think the owners are going to be super on board um, necessarily. That's if, a good point, means, yeah. If it means reducing games, especially. Right. Um, yeah, right. But yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, so uh, I, I think if, I think the NBA could really be fine moving down to even if it was like seventy games or something like that. Yeah. Like I don't think I don't think the eighty-two games are necessarily like a hundred percent necessary. And hey, I'm all on board with a Christmas Day start, like us putting that as now moving forward the official start date of the NBA and the finals ending in, you know, what late July, mm-hmm. um, mainly because that's there's no football. And no offense to any of the listeners, but I would rather watch paint dry than watch a baseball game. <laughs> so if I could have NBA basketball during the summer, sign me up. I, Jacob, I, you're going to have so many angry New York Yankee fans coming at you. Probably so. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a Mets fan, so I don't Ah, oh, there you go. I, yeah. I just I cannot do baseball. So I, I would can, love I'm, NBA basketball over the summer. I would say I'm not really like a baseball fan. I'm a big Mets fan, but like That's I just fair. can't bring myself to be interested if it's not my team playing in baseball. Whereas basketball, I can watch any game and yeah, be like, exactly. and football. Exactly. I mean, I can watch either of those sports and be totally cool with it. But, right, right. Yeah. Definitely. So, um, but you also mentioned, you know, the the Knicks probably aren't looking to, to win now, you know, with all the new hires, kind of this idea of, of building rather than like buying, uh, which is interesting compared to where the Knicks were last summer, you know, when uh, from, from everything that, that we know, felt confident that they were going to get Kevin Durant, uh, felt confident that they were going to lure in Kyrie Irving. So is is there, do you feel like an organizational shift happening there with the new front office uh, to kind of move away from the Knicks are always just waiting for that next big free agent. We're going to get the next one. We're going to get the next one to shifting to maybe a more sustainable team building style. Yeah, I think that, I think even the previous front office was sort of doing that. Um, as much as they catch heat for how things went down with trading Porzingis, uh, you know, in part to get cap space to get Durant and a co-star of his choosing, I, I'll still like to the day I die. I don't. I don't know if I'll ever believe Durant saying that his mind was made up in February, uh, based off all the reporting that was out there. I what, think Durant that, lie. 
Yeah, no, yeah right. That would no never way. happen, Alex. Right? Exactly. Oh, I'm talking I don't exactly believe it. the I'm right here people. To say. <laughs> no. He I'm would here never to do say. that. I want to he, be the next he Tim wants Duncan. To be a th- he wants to be in Oklahoma City for his entire life, man. Yeah, yeah. But I, uh, I think I'm going to say till the day I die, I think that his Achilles tearing shifted the power dynamic between him and Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie said, I don't want to be stranded on an island myself while you rehab a whole year in on the Knicks, dealing with everything that comes with being a Knicks player, uh, from the fans to the media to everything else. I'd rather be on the Nets where there's less pressure. And, you know, we can, as KD just said recently, I could just chill and have a good time and who Exactly. You know, or whatever. Exactly. I love that perspective. Um, so... I think that there was a shift in the power dynamic, and I, I do think that Durant, had he not gone through the injuries that he went through last year, would have ended up on the Knicks and probably would have brought Kyrie with him. So I can't totally blame the previous front office for feeling like that was going to happen. And like, if that's being telegraphed to you a year in advance, of course you're going to start getting ready for it. Um, you know, which it was. I mean, there was reporting all the way back to. God, oh my God, so long ago. This time two years ago. Exactly. Yeah, this time two years ago, there was reporting, you know, already coming out about, like, I'm hearing about Durant to the Knicks. I think it's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it just built and built until every single reporter that covered the NBA was like, Durant is going to the Knicks. Even the ones that hate the Knicks, like like Howard Beck, you know, or like Zach Lowe, that are like constantly (laughs) like all about what can we do to like trash the Knicks this week. We're like, because it gets me clicks and listens on my podcast. <laughs> exactly. But they're like, man, I, I tell you what, I think Durant's going to the Knicks and maybe this is a coordinated effort by the media to clown Knicks fans more, but I really doubt it. I think <laughs> I, they really had legitimate source info. Right. Anyway, to, to get back to the actual question, now that we've had our Durant bash session, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure your listeners will love anyway. Oh, we do it. Uh, we do it oh, weekly. Yeah. Don't worry, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but to get back to the original question at hand, I don't, I don't necessarily know that their strategy has fundamentally changed in a huge way. Like I actually think dating all the way back to Phil Jackson, they've had this strategy of we're not going to trade away our first round picks, and they've stuck to that. They haven't traded a first round pick since the Phil Jackson era, which is really impressive for a team that used to just hand them out like they were Halloween candy. <laughs> That's um, a good point. You know, now they, they've held on to their own and they've even gone so far as to gasp, you know, acquire some more first-round picks, which is, like, insanity uh, as a Knicks fan. So, you know, I think I think that this front office, just like the last one, but hopefully they'll just execute better, is all about talent acquisition through the draft and stuff. Hopefully the new scouting department can do a little better than the previous one as far as identifying, like, the true gems of the draft. Um, you know, I love Frank Nilakina, but... I don't think he's ever going to be a Frankie superstar. Smokes. Yeah, uh, I hate that <laughs> nickname, by the way. Um, but then, you know, like Kevin Knox, who's had a really underwhelming first couple years, um, you know, guys like that, they've had the right idea, but they just never fully figured it out. And last year they tried to kind of push all their chips in, and then they, you know, showed their hands, and everybody else had better hands at the table, and they lost all their money. Um, so this time around, I... I don't think that they're going to run into this free agency period necessarily guns blazing being like, let's hand out long-term contracts to everybody just in the, in the name of chasing the seven seed next year, uh, because they know it's not the year for that. And I, and I don't know that they're going to necessarily go all in on trying to bring in win now players either, because I think like they understand this takes time. And that goes back to sort of what I said at the beginning of like, 
the fact that they're hiring all of these development coaches, some of which have ties to existing players on the team already, says to me that they, you know, that they are looking at player development and drafting and youth as a huge part of their strategy still right now. Um, and they trust Tom Thibodeau to do it, who who has actually, I mean, if you look back, develop, especially in his Bulls days, developed a, a pretty good amount of players into, you know, anywhere from MVPs to high-quality role players. Um, so I think that they're looking at that and, and hoping that, you know, they can be patient. Um, the wild card is always James Dolan and whether he's going to be unhappy, but he has a super good relationship with Leon Rose. Um, I don't know if you guys are, like, familiar at all, but creative artist agency where he was like the head of the NBA division, Leon Rose was, uh, more or less ran the Knicks for like three or four years back in the early 2010s uh, when Carmelo was on the team, who was a CAA client. Um, CAA like was more or less the de facto general manager of the Knicks because of Dolan, because that's what his stupid band is managed through. Um, so yeah, it's it's like a whole thing, but I, I think that they're gonna, they're gonna, I think the front office strategy is, one of being prudent and kind of coiling themselves back like a snake ready to strike when the moment is right, but hopefully not too soon. That makes sense. I like that. Yeah. So moving on, uh, as we are, uh, our listeners probably are anxious for us to get to some of these trade talks, which Alex, I got to be honest, the way that you've been talking on this podcast so far, I feel like you're just going to shoot down every Chris Paul trade I throw your way. <laughs> but um, you, you mentioned at the top of the show uh, the other Knicks beat guys, uh, including uh, Mark Berman, who has reported that there is an interest there from the Knicks for Chris Paul, that the Thunder would be interested in getting like a pick in return and a young player like Kevin Knox. You said yourself that on your podcast and your writing and and all everyone that covers the Knicks there's this balance of sifting through the rumors and and what has teeth and what doesn't how do you interpret this one uh Mark, Mark Berman's reports of a Thunder Knicks possible deal and what the Thunder are looking for and the Knicks being interested in Chris Paul and also uh all depot uh potentially yeah, yeah. more so than Chris Paul like it was all in one jam-packed article <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, Berman, yeah how do you how do you Berman sift through this. all that yeah, so like, all right, so I guess I'll so I'll address the Oladipo thing first. I, I think there's a chance maybe the Knicks would be in play to make a bid at Oladipo, another player that you guys are familiar with. What player hasn't been on the Thunder? <laughs> hey, the man. Um, the pressy tree. <laughs> but uh, Oladipo, like, I, I don't know if I buy that the Knicks would. I, I just don't think it's a perfect match, let's put it that way. I don't think the Knicks would be willing to give up the farm for a guy who looked like really bad last year, quite frankly, coming, coming off back of, from that injury. Yeah. Coming off a major injury, which is to be expected, but it's bad timing for Oladipo because he's now going into a contract year this year, which brings me to my next point is like, I don't think that the Knicks would trade for a player who just came off of injury, who had a bad season, like objectively just bad, bad. And you know, who is going into a contract year who you have, no guarantees of keeping beyond this year. I, I don't think that they would give up anything of note for him. Um, that makes I, sense. And and sorry, not to interrupt you real quick, sure. but isn't, I mean, maybe I'm way off base here and that's why you're on the podcast, but I would think that the Knicks hope is that RJ Barrett kind of becomes like Oladipo. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that, 
I, I don't, so that's another thing that like, it's interesting. People read too much into press conferences and stuff like that. And you know how coaches talk about players, uh, mostly because we're bored and there's nothing else to talk about right now. So it's like, Oh my God, like what kind of inflection did Tom Thibodeau use when he talked about Frank Nilakina? Like this tells me everything I need to know about how he feels about him as a player. Um, but like, Everything's been mostly positive coming out as far as RJ's concerned. I think that they do definitely view him as a building block, as they should. Um, I mean, we actually just put out uh, a really good piece on the Strickland about this. Like, if anybody's curious, at the Strick.land, if they want to go read. We just put out a really good piece about RJ Barrett, um, you know, and some of the encouraging signs from his rookie year. Like, he got left off the all-rookie teams, which, you know, made headlines because, like, oh, my God, giant snub. But, like, it's a useless award that pays no service to anything beyond just like a little notch in their belt for yeah. the rookie year, I guess. Michael Carter Williams won rookie of the year. Like, yeah. That's, he's like that, that's almost out of the league now. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like he'll be playing for the New Zealand breakers in you know, like a year <laughs> or two. Um, but so, you know, I think, uh, I think that they view him. I don't know if they view him necessarily as like a future multi-time all-star, but I think they definitely view him as a foundational piece. And, you know, Oladipo that one year was arguably like almost in like MVP consideration that year. I mean, he had a fantastic year. I don't yeah. know if RJ's ever going to hit that high, but RJ might hit the level of what, or, or even exceed the level of what Oladipo has left in the tank for the rest of his career um, after that debilitating injury and everything. So, yeah, I, I definitely think they're big believers in RJ. Like, and I don't think that they would give him up for more or less anything. Like, I think if I was going to look at the Knicks roster and be like, these guys are untouchable this offseason, it would probably be RJ and Mitchell Robinson. Like, I really think they have zero interest in moving them unless, unless like, the Bucks came knocking and were like, hey, we'll give you Giannis Antetokounmpo if you give us RJ and Mitchell Robinson. They'd be like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, I don't think they're, like, lining up to get rid of those guys. Um. Again, though, I, I, I'm sorry. I keep going off on these tangents, but <laughs> you're right, um, man. I to love get it. back, yeah, to get back to like sort of the some of the rumors and stuff. Um, the Knox one. Well, I guess that sort of answers the Old Depot one. So you know, I didn't get on that much of a tangent. All right, I'll give myself some credit. <laughs> We're back full uh, circle. I don't think the, we do yeah, this a lot I, here at Thing Contestant. I'm like famous yeah. for taking us down these rabbit holes. Yeah, I'm sure I our just, listeners I, hate it every time I do it. That's <laughs> how my brain works, man. I <laughs> Me constantly. Too. Gavin and I constantly on our show just trade monologues. I, I feel like Alex and I could like record our own podcast, and like you and I, Alex, would probably go on like a two-hour long podcast and feel like we've been talking for thirty minutes. Yeah, and it would just be fifteen-minute segments of each of us just like rambling right. and then going, "Oh, I'm sorry, I just rambled too much." No, back to the question. To kind of like the presidential debates. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, if if we were like the presidential debates, so we'd have to be constantly interrupting each other and yeah, calling right, each other right. names and stuff. Alex, but. I'm gonna let you finish, but I totally think the Knicks should be trading RJ. But yeah, sorry. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> You're a clown. Uh, no, I'm yeah, right. there it is. Um, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, anyway, so the Oladipo thing, I don't necessarily believe. Um, I don't really think that that's a guy that they're like super targeting. Um, RJ, I do think they view as a foundational piece to get to like the Knox rumor from Berman. I mean, I could believe it. Um, you guys know better than anybody. Shea Gilgis Alexander is a fantastic player and a guy that they're going to look to build around i'm sure for years to come and you know i for that reason i guess i could see a world where maybe they would want frank milikina in the sense that i think that, he's a pressy player <laughs> yeah i mean i think that this year showed that 
you know, that, that SGA can work really well with another guard uh, that is nominally a point guard, quote-unquote, which, like, Frank is but isn't. Like, he definitely still has to show a lot of things that for if he could run a team full-time. Um, but I think that, you know, with a share of ball handling responsibilities, he's pretty great, and he's developing into a pretty decent, like, spot-up shooter and stuff like that. Um, so I can maybe see where they'd be interested in that. But also they have Dort, who they just guaranteed for next next year and the next two years, or is it just next year? Yeah, I think he's three more years, yeah. and he's uh, basically so at league minimum. Very jealous. Dirt Because uh, I, I like Dort a lot. Um, oh, brother, you're you're preaching to the crowd over here, all right? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, and Trust, but, we, but, we've already made the Lutang Clan t-shirts, all right? <laughs> we're we're all on trademarked. board, baby. <laughs> oh man, that's a great New York reference too. Yes, yes, that's yes. Right. Gang, gang Ho- hopefully your listeners will appreciate that. Yes, um, but so like, you know, we've essentially the Knicks have almost like their own long-limbed Lou Dort in a way with Nilakina. Uh, so it, for that very reason, I, I don't necessarily know why the Thunder would be like lining up to try to trade for Nilakina because they already sort of have him and Lou Dort, and they don't have to make a decision about paying Dort right around the corner like the Knicks do with Neil Keener, like they would if they traded for him. Um, and then, like, DSJ, honestly, like, I still have faith in him, but he's damaged goods, period. Like, he's he, he had a really abysmal year last year for, I think, many different reasons, personal and professional. Um, you know, he dealt with a family tragedy early in the year that just seemed to sort of derail his whole season. Um, and then just between sporadic playing time and a really busted jumper just never seemed to get things back together so like i don't think anybody's lining up to be like let me get dennis smith jr as like an attractive piece in a deal like he's he's just he exists right now uh he needs to be rehabilitated big time so i can't imagine that thunder would be interested in him at all which brings us to Knox. like you know i already mentioned i don't there's no world where the knicks would trade R.J. Barrett or Mitchell Robinson in a deal for Chris Paul, who's like 36 years old and making half the salary cap. Um, Knox, maybe they would. Um, I don't know. It specifically noted in the Berman article, which I believe this, uh, that there are some within the Knicks, quote-unquote, that uh, want Knox to stay around. And if I had to put a name to that, I would say it's Kenny Payne, his former coach, as we already alluded to. Um but like, I don't. I, I could see the Thunder being interested in him. He's definitely intriguing. I think he has some good tools. I think that he's been utilized the wrong way. He's to anyone with eyeballs, he's a stretch four, uh, and that's what he's going to be in the in the NBA. A little undersized, not a great rebounder, but like in that sort of in an ideal world, uh, like where he panned out to one hundred ten percent of his potential, he would be like a Rashard Lewis type. I think. Hmm. Um, you know, of, of someone who can shoot out of the four spot, play a little defense, has a little bit of like weak side shot blocking ability and stuff like that. Um, but only if he's playing bigger players, like he really doesn't do great on the perimeter. Um, and who has a really silky jumper that just thus far, he just hasn't quite been able to figure out how to hit with consistency. Um, so yeah, that's sort of, it. but you know, he's been jerked around. He got played most of the time at the three. His first couple years even was played by David Fisdell and Mike Miller, disappointingly, at the two a few times, yeah, which is just yeah. Sounds like early bad. years Kevin Durant. Exactly. Yeah, just obscenely bad. Like Kevin Durant minus like 80% of the talent. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. So, yeah, just just disgusting misuse of his skills. So I'm, I'm hoping that the new coaching staff will be able to do something for him. But 
in all likelihood, the Thunder probably look at him and think, oh, we have a, a, they're about to hire a new coach, obviously, but they're probably like <laughs> untapped potential. At, we can yeah, trade this guy want, into the guy we want him to be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and and you you could pretty easily look at him and see like a a. a Fifteen to twenty point per game score if he reached his peak. Um, even if he has other deficiencies, like that's a valuable skill in the NBA, putting the ball in the hoop. So, um, yeah, I, I I could definitely see where the Thunder would be interested in him. Uh, I don't know how likely the Knicks would be to include him in a deal for Paul, but that's I guess another story that we don't. I don't think anybody actually has the answer to. Definitely. Awesome. Well, let's dive into some of that and get into some of these Chris Paul trades, uh, as I'm sure our listeners are dying for us to uh, to finally dive into. Uh, but before we do that, Taylor, let's tell our listeners about some of our sponsors for the week. You've counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. And ordering is easy. All you have to do is open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Man, I could go for a Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich from DoorDash right now. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. And many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. All you have to do is download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Again, that's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and use the code BLUEWIRE. One more time, that code is all one word, BLUEWIRE, for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The wait is finally over. Football is back. And I'm sure that there's probably many of Alex's listeners who are listening in that are big uh, Giants fans or uh, Jets fans. I'm sorry. (laughs) But (laughs) even if you guys aren't at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. And don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Alex, I had to throw that jab in there because I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan over here. <laughs> I'm a Jets fan. My life is pain. Oh, <laughs> hey, I have uh, I have Bell on one of my fancy teams, and I'm just like hoping, praying he's ready to go this Sunday, like he says he is. I will um, rain on your parade and say it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that suck, so man. They are bad. Oh, uh, I think Taylor's sure. hoping and praying right now that Mahomes is going to test negative. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, we'll see if there's even a <laughs> talk about off off topic. We'll see if there's even an NFL <laughs> season in about a month. Exactly. But, uh, I guess yeah. That's a totally yeah, exactly. scary, especially not doing the NBA scary. bubble. Yeah, yeah. man. And shout out to the NBA for the bubble, man. Exactly. That safest exactly. place in America. I think it's safe to say, probably safest place in America. 
Yeah. Awesome. Maybe the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, gentlemen, let's jump into yeah. some trades, and I get to play the trade sounder, which is always oh. my favorite part of the podcast. Deal. It's a disaster. Take trading. Disaster. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> you got some Donald Trump in there. You got some Pokemon. You got some Lunchables. Really, that's just a sounder for the '90s kids that listen to this podcast. There. Absolutely. Let's, I'm let's, one of them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Man, trading your Magic Carp for Charizard. What kind of noob? All right. <laughs> what anyways. Kind of noob. <laughs> let's uh, let's start with the obvious, the Chris Paul trade. Um, Alex, I guess from the Knicks perspective, what is the allure of of bringing in Chris Paul? Um, obviously, close relationship with Leon Rose as he was formerly Chris's uh, agent. Chris, yes, he's like a million years old, like you mentioned, and he makes like half the salary cap. I've got to say, though, if you go back and you listen to the Uncontested podcast from oh, the boy. day that they traded Russell Westbrook for Chris Paul, the amount of shit we talked was at like astronomical levels. And Jacob now said, I don't even you, bring him in. Don't even fly him into the city. Just make sure he's gone by the time the season starts. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you now, Chris Paul is one of my favorite players to ever put on a Thunder uniform. The leadership of that man, like I would, you want to talk about the, the shit show that's been like the debates. I would vote for Chris Paul for any political office mm-hmm. like on the spot. This dude is an incredible leader. Uh, I think he would do. Uh, you know, the Lord's work in New York, really developing those young guys, especially R.J. Barrett. Uh, But what is the allure from the New York perspective of bringing in Chris Paul? I mean, I think you sort of just touched on most of it, right? Like the Leon Rose connection is obvious. Um, I was actually, I was lucky enough, I was uh, writing for Sports Illustrated uh, freelance towards the, uh, from like the middle towards the end of this uh, season. Yep. And I was actually there for the, the OKC game when Paul came in right after Leon Rose had been hired, um, or officially announced, I should say, as team president. That was like and a week before the shutdown, right? Yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah it was like early March, man. Which is yep. funny because um, one of our co-hosts, not to interrupt you again, but one of our co-hosts, Nick Crane, uh, writes for Forbes, and he was actually up in uh, New York for one of the away yeah, games he was for at, OKC. he was at MSG for that game as well. Yeah. I might have been. I was probably in the same scrum as he was. That's really enormous. It was a lot of people. Um, But yeah, I mean, that was like the questions everybody was asking. You know, it was like, oh, what about your relationship with Leon? Do you see yourself in MSG next year? Blah blah. blah. And like, he he obviously, you know, Chris Paul knows the game. He's the president of the Players Association. Like all this other stuff. Like he's not going to start talking spicy about where he's going to play next year. Um, But you know, he did mention like he and Leon Rose are like family. Like they have. You know, they, they've known each other forever. Like, he considers Leon, you know, literally, like, a member of his family and not in just, like, a professional way, like, in a personal, deep connection sort of way. Um, and, it, you know, said they talk on the phone, like, constantly. And, you know, that probably has to get cut down now, at least from a business perspective, obviously. I'm sure they still catch up about their families and stuff. But, yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's one of those situations where I think that bringing in Chris Paul would be sort of a security blanket for Leon Rose uh, to start with, to have someone that he can trust on the court as well as on the sideline, which I think played into part of why he hired Tibbs over some of the other candidates too, is that they have a longstanding relationship. Um, But Rose, I will say tends to, I think have a relationship with a lot of people because of his standing as, you know, one of the biggest basketball agents ever. Uh, prior to becoming 
this new president of basketball operations for the Knicks. Um, but, you know, I think also there is there is the factor of bringing in Paul to bring, like, some legitimacy to the team right away. Uh, to have someone out there who can maybe inspire some winning, but also, you know, as you saw in OKC, it, you know, with how he influenced, like, SGA and Dort and, you know, all the other various players on the team. I, I think it was – I read something about, like, didn't Baisley, uh, like, follow him around, like, constantly, like a like a little puppy, like – you know, just nipping at his heels all the oh, time, yeah. just looking yeah. for he, advice he, and I stuff. I mean, he and Shay, Baisley Shay, were like on private Attached planes with Chris, flying out to California early for games, uh, having dinner and watching film, like literally like baby bear, papa bear type of relationship. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that that's something that the, the Knicks would be interested in. Um, you know, as far as having Paul there to help mentor RJ Barrett and, you know, Frank Nilakina and and even like Mitchell Robinson, I mean, I, I I tell you like, I have my reservations about making this trade, but like I can't help but think about Chris Paul throwing lobs to Mitchell Robinson and like <laughs> drool a little bit, you know? It, yeah, it's it's enticing. Like Mitchell Robinson is the most dangerous lob threat. I think I, I say this without an ounce of homerism in me. I think he's actually the most dangerous lob threat in the NBA, and you pair him up with Chris Paul, and I mean. It's like Lob City 2.0. You know, you got heavy, heavy. (laughs) Yeah, you got heavy, heavy Clippers Paul vibes there. Definitely. Um, But, like, I think that the Knicks, the big thing is just going to be not giving up the farm for him. And I I think that based off everything that we've talked about earlier in this pod, like, I don't think that's something that they're interested in. Definitely. Um, And I also think, you know, not only the mentorship of the young guys, but when you look down this Knicks roster, like aside of a Taj Gibson, like who is really like the, the leader of this team, right? I mean, I'm sure you, you know, you get some of that from like Wayne Ellington, um, maybe a little bit from like an older guy like like Reggie Bullock, but Chris Paul. I mean, you're, you're talking president of the MBPA, you know, a guy highly respected around the league. Like not only mentorship of the young guys, but just the leadership aspect, uh, the accountability aspect. The the guy that I mean, there were times this season, Alex, where the Thunder would call a timeout and Billy Donovan wouldn't even go to the huddle. He would just let Chris Paul run the show. Like that's how much of he he is very much coach on the court. And so I think there's there's probably some value in just that sense of leadership as well with with the changing front office and the coaching staff and the inconsistency that's been there to bring in a guy like Paul that can just kind of be that voice in the locker room that steadies everything. I think there's got to be a little bit of value there. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's something the Knicks have been missing, you know. Um, and what's funny is, like, if things had gone – completely according to plan last year, I, I think they still would have been struggling to find that sort of voice. Cause I don't know that like Irving or Durant right. have a- anywhere near the sort of like cachet that a guy like Chris Paul does yeah, in definitely. the locker room. Um, and it, it certainly seems like based off how he performed with the thunder this year, that he has more than enough um, ability to connect with young players, which yeah. I don't think people really realized it maybe just because, he was previously playing on like super teams and this year sort of played on this underdog. Hey, we expected this team to only win 20 games this year team. Right. Um, it's almost like he, know, does, turn- he did better in that situation than like you said, in his previous situations where he's, he is kind of butting heads with others who think that they maybe deserve more say than he does. And 
so on um, and so forth. Yeah, so I, I certainly see all the positives. I think the biggest thing is just comes down to, like, I actually think, strangely enough, the Knicks might be willing to give up more for Paul if he was only signed for one more year. Um, like, if if 2020 to 2021 was his final year of his contract, I actually think the Knicks might be willing to give up more for him because I think Leon Rose would feel confident of, like, hey, man, you know how the salary cap works. I know how the salary cap works. Like, we'll figure out a good deal for you, get you paid next summer. But, like, you know, we need that cap space open to try to lure someone else exactly. in addition to you. Exactly, because yeah. you um, can't do this on your own. I think and for reference, yeah. for reference, Paul, Chris Paul's 2021 salary is, is a player option. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I actually floated – so I floated this on Locked on Knicks somewhat recently. I forget what episode, but it came up, and I was like – Man, I wonder if there is a world where Chris Paul would turn down that option for Leon Rose. Like, only for Leon Rose. That's an interesting point. Rose. I like because I, I totally get that, but that's a lot we're of talk, money. We're talking a leader of the Players Association exactly. who's due to make $50 million. Like. Oh, I know. And he's been very vocal about not turning. I mean, he's been asked point blank and answered point blank. Yeah. You know, My man's here uh, to secure the bag, all right? <laughs> yeah. Like, would you turn down that option? And he straight up was like, uh, no. Because <laughs> that's literally, I mean, he, he was the one that fought for that 10-plus year veteran max. Yeah. Uh, that got put into the last CBA that allowed him to get paid like that. Um, and allows a lot of his peers to get paid like that. So, yeah, I just don't see a world where he's going to turn that down. I don't see a world where the Knicks, particularly with Brock Aller, who they just hired, uh, who we talked about for a minute pre-show, you know, who's like Mr. Capologist. Like, I don't really see a world where Brock Aller is going to be like, hell yeah, Leon, let's let's load up our cap with some Chris Paul for the next two years. Like, I want to pay him $43 million, you know, this year and next. I just... I just I have a hard time seeing it from that perspective. Like there's so many I, I almost think you could make like a pros and cons chart and come out almost even between the two. Yeah. Um, as far as you know, cost benefit sort of thing, but ultimately the thing that kills it for me is the amount of money that they're gonna be committing to a thirty five year old, gonna be thirty six year old Chris Paul. Uh, for the next two seasons just is is unsettling to me and I'm sure that it's probably unsettling to Leon Rose in that new front office as no, well. No, that definitely makes sense. Well Alex, um, we have some uh, some traits here that will make yeah, you feel better. I'm ready make to feel better to shreds. <laughs> let's go. Taylor, you got traits queued up? Oh yeah, I mean I do. Sorry. I was just oh. yeah, sorry. I thought you like had okay, yeah, no I'm ready. No, I, no, let's go for I it. I got man. a couple. So <laughs> Not going to lie, I was kind of expecting you guys to kind of go first uh, with the more traditional Chris <laughs> Paul. Out, out, I have three trades lined up, um, and not all of them involve Chris Paul, I may add. However, the first one I have is a little different, I guess, than what you maybe, uh, like like you said, Alex, we were talking uh, quite, we had a lot of fun pre-pod. We should have just done like a cold, uh, cold open because we have a lot of good content in there. But there's kind of a stereotypical Chris Paul trade uh, to the, the New York Knicks that's kind of been floated out there. And, um, and mine's a little different than that. So I have Chris Paul obviously going to the New York Knicks in return for Julius Randle. Um, the Knicks would, would pick up the team option for Bobby Portis and then trade him to OKC with Julius Randle. Kevin Knox because of the recent rumors. And then a 2020 round one, uh, or first round pick. 
from the Clippers that you guys are receiving because that's going to be obviously quite further down than that number I eight. I think that's pick. 26 27. 27? 27. 27. Okay. 27. So then that would give OKC the 25th and 27th pick uh, via Denver and then now via the Clippers. Uh, as if OKC didn't already have enough LA Clippers picks. So this one's a little more... Um, that would just be another feather in the cap of Sam Presti oh, yep. just to get exactly. another Clippers pick. And I think based off what we've heard from Alex today, this one's obviously more weighted towards OKC. I don't think he's going to take it, which is why we have some variations of this. But you have to start somewhere in negotiations, right? So this is the one I'm throwing out first. Keep that in mind. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, so my first inclination would be no. Um, just because... And again, I, I think that this Knicks front office really values the fact that much like much like OKC, um, they are in a position where they have a lot of draft picks going forward. Not quite the glut uh, or dare I say almost like like embarrassing amount of picks that OKC has going forward. Right. But right. we're not do done have... yet, buddy. We're still getting more. That's right. Oh, I know. <laughs> but the Knicks do have um they have two first round picks this year. They have uh two first round picks next year and then they have two first round picks in 2023. So, that's uh, you decent. know, they've got That really is. I mean, that's Yeah, they've got a good amount of draft capital coming up. Uh seven picks in the next 4 years, which is pretty solid. Um and that's just first round picks. They have actually a pretty uh, somewhat decent tro really between this year and next year is really when they can make some noise i think in the draft because they have they have their own pick this year the clippers pick this year and then charlotte's second and then next year they hold uh their own pick and then the mavericks pick from the porzingis trade which is fully unprotected so like one luka Doncic broken ankle or something away from a potential lottery pick um and then uh the Hornets second round pick again and the Pistons second round pick next year. That's plus that's solid. Yeah, plus in a weird in a weird world where the Clippers suck it up next year, they actually also have a pick swap available with the Clippers for next year. Huh. <laughs> with their own pick, not with the Dallas pick. Gotcha. So another interesting little wrinkle that was worked into that trade this year for Marcus Morris. But um, I think the Knicks are trying to be pretty protective over all that. I also think that there's a chance that they're going that they might have their eyes on someone in the middle of the first round, that they might try to package pick 27 and pick 38 this year. And for move up. And we, we, we've been talking up. about something similar, which is why I threw in that, that uh, Clippers pick in exactly. there in that trade. Yeah, everybody, now, I feel like everybody wants to get to that middle exactly. of the round. Exactly. That's, the, that's um, a sweet spot in this draft. Now, I have yeah, a quick yeah. uh, iteration of that trade, just really quickly I want to throw out mm -hmm. uh, to you before Jacob gives his um, hits sure. to you, and then I have a completely like wild card at the very end. But So Julius Randle still going to OKC, right? Um, I feel like that's like more or less a given. Yeah, right, right, right. right. So yeah, you, you have your <laughs> just your, salary matching. Right. Yeah, to get to that forty-one million, you, you got to throw gotta in that Randall contract. Well, so I will say it. this much, right? So just understand from this perspective, right? As far as making a deal, not to derail before no, we no, get into no. this variant here, but like the Knicks, once the once the league year turns over, the Knicks have like depending on where the cap ends up, which. You know, depending on what you read, maybe it right. stays about where it was this year, about Hopefully. 110. Maybe it actually <laughs> does still go up around 115. Um, it seems like no matter what, they're going to find a way to be able to keep it at least status quo this year. Um, so They if don't the want to go over. That's fair. Yeah. So if the cap opens up at 
110 million. I, I haven't run like the full numbers recently, but I know that the Knicks have somewhere in the neighborhood of almost 45 million in cap space. Yeah, so they can um, almost just absorb Chris. They can just absorb Chris Paul. Interesting. Like, straight up. Um, the, so that's like one thing to consider. You don't necessarily have to match salaries that's a good because point. they can. So even if there's draft picks involved or something, like let's say that the Knicks even just straight up were like Julius Randle on a pick. I mean, or even just Knox in the twenty seventh pick or ooh, something. Like, I don't know if better. I would actually do that, but if if that was on the table, the Knicks could agree to that on draft night and then just officially process it once the new league year starts. And that's not. Yeah. And then OKC also has two fairly decent trade exceptions as well that they could use to absorb. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, Taylor, not to derail your next offer, but but because of that information that that the Knicks can just absorb Chris. Um, I, I want to throw one out there, and yep. Alex, you can tell me that I'm I'm full of shit, and this is a dumb idea, uh, or whatever, right? Um, I'll use those exact words on you. <laughs> I'm ready for it, man. So, what if there was a deal where it was like not only Chris Paul going to the Knicks, um, but I'm also going to throw in a guy from the Thunder who has a team option, uh, sending him back home, originally from Queens. Uh, we'll get Hamadou Diallo in this deal that that Taylor has. My a, beloved homie. Yeah, Taylor Taylor has a, a love affair with Hamadou Diallo. But so like a Chris Paul and Hamadou Diallo. So you're also getting a 22 year old, um, you know, six five wing who admittedly has has problems with his jump shot, um, but is is still a good young process. He's athletically just insane. Uh, in return for like uh, what you said, Kevin Knox and that 27th pick. Like, do you think the Knicks entertain that idea? That would make it more palatable for sure. Um, you know, you, you piqued my interest a little bit. Like I remember Hami, like from, from back in the, you know, the, the draft days. Oh, right. he got drafted, what, two years ago? Yep. Now? Yes. Out of, uh, Kentucky. Yeah. Another yep. Kentucky yeah. guy. Yeah. I mean, I remember he was, he's Funny enough, flyer. teammates with Knox and SGA. Right. Right. Yeah. So and you have you know, that assistant that familiarity. coach, um, who just, I know, sorry, <laughs> go ahead. Oh no, I was about to say, I know Kenny Payne would be advocating for that. I, there you go. Um, yeah. So. I would like that would make that more palatable to me. Um, I still don't know necessarily that I'd be lining up for that, but you're essentially then saying, okay, it's like trading Kevin Knox for Diallo, which I mean, they've uh, Knox has been, I mean, he's shown flashes, but he's been kind of a turd sandwich so far in his career. <laughs> right. Um, I know that Diallo, sounds like Diallo, Diallo. Uh, Diallo's been the same way. He yeah, won Diallo's been kind of a turd sandwich That's too. Kind so of it's like highlight. you trade your turd sandwiches and then. You know, you you essentially give up the twenty seventh pick for Chris Paul, right? Uh, and but you're also eating up all that cap space. Like that's the big thing that is really sticking with me this off season is I if I was the Knicks, I would not necessarily want to load up my cap space any more than just this next coming season without some compensation for it because we don't know what the financials are going to look like next year in yeah. the first year post covid. So that's kind of like the, sorry, that, yeah, that's ahead. just that's that's kind of the direction I was going um here as well. And that's interesting that you mentioned that Jacob. Um but I I wasn't going with Hamadou Diallo who honestly makes so much sense going back home to to New York. Um so I still have like I said Randall who's a given, uh, the Bobby Portis uh, team option coming as well. And then either Again, with that cap flexibility, one of uh, Frankie Smokes or Kevin Knox, one of the two for Chris Paul. But then I was also going to throw in Terrence Ferguson, um, a 
proven kind of, I shouldn't say three and D because he certainly struggled from that, uh, from the three this season. However, he was going through a lot uh, off the court this year, as Jacob and I and everybody on the, on the Young Contestant have talked about. There was a lot going on there, and he's shown a ton of promise, specifically on that defensive end. Um, and it's almost like, kind of like, you know, we like to compare him to a Jeremy Lamb situation where he showed a lot of promise, could never get together in OKC because of opportunity, but was able to go elsewhere and really um, do well and, and show what he is capable of. I think Terrence Ferguson can be that kind of guy. And I, I also could see that being a young, promising player. I mean, again, he's only like, what, 23 years old, um, who could fit really well with that young core that you guys have there in New York. And so you have Chris Paul and Ferguson coming back again for Randall Portis and one of Frank or Kevin Knox. Yeah, no, I mean, no again, this sort of, yeah, this sort of appeals to me. You know, I Ferguson, the only thing is, so if he comes in for Knox, then you're moving up that decision period on yeah that, that to, timeline shifts forward true yeah you have to move it forward by one year because Knox, you get an extra year but that would probably would be appealing to okc in this scenario uh because to your point like i actually looked i didn't even realize that t ferg had like the struggles that he had this year because i remember like last year i was very impressed with him, right exactly thinking like damn this guy's got he's got the juice like i think he's gonna he's gonna end up like you know, a really good role player in the NBA who's like hyper athletic can play defense. Seems like the jump shot was coming along. I mean, he shot like almost 37% yeah. last yep. year from three, yeah. especially in the, um, uh, the last part of the season. Yeah. And like, yeah. And like so, Taylor mentioned it, I think a lot of it was personal issues this year. He was in the middle of a custody battle. Um, mm-hmm. He had, a, he lost a family member. Um, a lot of things going on with him. Kind of like what you mentioned with DSJ, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think apply to Terrence Ferguson. Not that Ferguson was getting in trouble or anything. It was just like a bunch of personal family oh, no, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah shit happens. Um, you know, I, yeah. I was actually just about to draw that DSJ comparison again, and you, you beat me to it. So yeah, I mean, this makes it more palatable to me. I again, it's like that's the sort of stuff that maybe those sort of sweeteners would make Leon Rose say like, okay. I think maybe I could do this. And that's maybe, I think you guys have the right idea as far as how this sort of thing might like actually come together. Yeah. And that like, you can't just have it be like, Hey, Nick's, we want all your shit in exchange for just Chris Paul, you know? Cause like there has to be like another little lottery ticket in there somewhere. Exactly. No, I'm with you. Another little bit of spare change that they can take and, you know, put in their piggy bank and say like, we got something else, you know, in addition to Chris Paul, who's, you know, a, clearly a depreciating asset, you know, that's going to potentially instill the culture here and whatever, but is going to be gone, you know, by the time, that, probably by the time his contract's up. Like, I I don't know, I could maybe see Chris Paul trying to play till he's 40 or something, but I could also just as easily see him hanging it up after he cashed his last $50 million check, um, you know, and just kind of... Or if he gets hurt again. Assimilating himself <laughs> into broadcasting or you know, front office work or whatever he wants to do because he's going to be an NBA lifer for sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, or running for president, maybe, to your guys' point. <laughs> Fingers um, crossed, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the sort of thing. I, I still don't know that I'm necessarily saying, yes, I accept. Like, you know, call the league. Let's do it. Um, but it's, it's pushing me more in that direction. And I think that, like, as far as a Leon Rose is concerned – running the Knicks it's just going to depend on like are we willing to give a little to get a little as far as Paul's concerned like 
and how much are we prioritizing this on court leadership type stuff? And, and, you know, especially knowing what we know about the upcoming draft coming up, like, is this the year that we want to sort of make this, this paradigm shift of becoming a, you know, more like a 33, 34, 35 win team, or do we want to maybe push that one more year? Um, maybe even trade for Chris Paul next summer. You know, that's to get him on with the final last year. year. Yeah, yeah, that makes a yeah. lot of sense. Now, um, I will say from so, yeah. the Thunder perspective, I think the goal uh, and the the non negotiable point is they're going to want to pick, um, regardless of where they ship Chris to. I think they now see Chris, and I think across the league, there's probably this view that that Chris, although he's probably a depreciating value, like you said. He does carry value now. It's 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 not the Chris Paul of last summer, where you know it was the Albatross contract where Houston had to give up two firsts and two swaps to get off of him. Mm-hmm. I think the Thunder essentially are going to end up wanting a first back. Um, the idea of bringing Nilakina back to me is fascinating, mm-hmm. but like you mentioned, you got to make a decision on him. Like coming up, he's going to hit restricted free agency, and the Thunder are notorious for not letting players make it to restricted free agency. They they sign the extension at the beginning of that fourth year. I think the only way the Thunder make an, a deal uh, in any of these trades and bring in Nilakina is there would probably have to be an agreement on an extension before the trade was made, and so and I don't know what Nilakina's market value is right like he's making six million this coming year can mm-hmm. you get him at like four for 30 or something yeah. like that um, yeah i don't you know, think cause... anyone knows what his value is for what it's worth yeah um, fair i've floated i mean earlier in the off season i floated potentially being okay with paying him as much as like four for 48 on the high end um yeah because i think i think he's gonna have i mean you look there's a guy on the on the thunder roster who's basically just uh, a roster spot at this point in Andre Robertson, right. who had a similar rep to Nilakina, except for Nilakina actually does project like he's going to have a legitimate three-point shot at some point. But I think he's every bit the defender that Robertson is. So I could see his market being 10 It makes so much sense there. And uh-huh. I think that's fair. I think what OKC probably would have going for them there is the fact, like, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, there's so many unknowns when it comes – to the salary cap for next season. Um, so are there really going to be teams who are, are willing to gamble on somebody like that um, and, and pay him a, a not significant sum, but you know maybe more than than he's worth just to entice him to come to their team where you know maybe a team like OKC could offer him market value um, prior to the trade and he'd be willing to do that. So it's just, again, there's so many unknowns. Yeah, I definitely think there'd have to be an agreement with Nilakina before a trade went through. But speaking of that, um, I got a couple more trades, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, speaking of Nilakina, let's throw him in the trade machine here. Uh, Alex, again, call me out on how stupid this is. What about Nilakina and Taj Gibson in exchange for Dennis Schroeder? Ooh. I'm not I'm not really with that, to be completely oh, okay, honest. Oh, okay, okay. Because I... So it's funny, actually. We're probably going to be doing a Locked on Knicks where we talk about Schroeder sometime in the near future. Just because, so I mentioned we had probably our favorite uh, and most high-profile Knicks beat reporter, Ian Begley, on our show earlier this week. Right. And we were talking to him, and I asked him, I was just like, 
this is like totally like you don't have to base this on anything you've heard or any sources or anything like just you ian begley like who's someone that you would go after potentially if you were the gm of the knicks this year and he was like dennis schroeder oh. and he thought he, he thought schroeder was going to be a um a free agent and i was like no i, I don't believe so i think he has one more year oh, which okay he was uh, like signing um, him a free agency compared to he was thinking like him. signing him in free oh, okay. agency gotcha i i, I figured that he had one more year he does so, and he does um I don't think I would do that. And this is probably, you know, we were talking a little bit like before the show about like being homers and stuff. This is probably me being a little bit of a Knicks homer and like a fan of Frank Nilakina um, and the hopefully untapped potential that he has. But I don't think that Schroeder moves the needle enough for me to want to give Frank up. Uh, in any sort of deal for him, even if it's just attaching him with Taj Gibson to make salaries match or whatever and doing it for Schroeder. The big thing with Schroeder to me, and like, correct me if I'm totally off base here, but it seemed to me like when he was tasked this year with running OKC's offense, like, hey, Chris Paul's on the bench, you know, even SGA's on the bench, and it's just Schroeder out there, it was kind of a mess, um, at least from what I watched. And I, I really don't think... I don't think even as a stopgap that he's like this lead guard type that the Knicks have been looking for. I don't think that he's a guy that necessarily prioritizes getting others involved over getting his points and stuff, which is great for the role that he plays as like a microwave bench scorer, but not great for what the Knicks have been hungry for for like two decades now of a point guard. Or God, longer. I mean, really, it's like since like Clyde Frazier they they've only had like you know a couple years of Stefan Marbury, which was kind of a mess anyway. That's been like their best point guard play since Clyde Frazier. Um, but at any rate, like I just don't know if Schroeder is worth giving up much for. So I think I mentioned Schroeder's name when we were even just like DMing about this episode. Schroeder to me would be like if Oklahoma City decides to trade Chris Paul to. I don't know, Milwaukee or something, you know, whatever. Like some team ponies up, like be it Milwaukee or um, Philly, which I think are the two contenders that have been most like sort of talked about. It's like, wow, that would be a great fit for Chris Paul. Uh, or maybe some other mystery team pops up that goes for services. How hilarious would it be if like the Clippers or something popped up? Hey, in? we've talked beautiful. about it. <laughs> um, it would just be like weird, funny, poetic justice um, in like four different ways, strangely. Um, but like, you know, maybe something like that happens. And so he does, Chris Paul doesn't end up on the Knicks. And now Oklahoma City's like, Chris Paul's gone. We're presumably letting, you know, Gallo leave in free agency at that point, or maybe trying to execute a sign and trade with like a contender or something. Um, and then now like Schroeder's just there and it's like, does he really have a place here? Like I would imagine from an OKC perspective, it would be like, he's kind of more of a win now player, I guess. Like he's also going to block minutes for, you know, not necessarily SGA cause they've proven they can play together, but maybe he's blocking minutes for Dort or someone that they go after in the draft. If they take a guard of some sort, you know, um, with any of their picks that they have in the draft. And so they might just be looking to get rid of him in that case. If I was the Knicks, maybe I, and you guys might scoff at this, but the highest that I would probably go for Dennis Schroeder would be like, a second round pick or something like I really I just don't he's not worth much to me um and I I don't know how much you'd be worth to the Knicks particularly if they're I I think there's a really good chance that they're going to come out of the draft with at least one 
point guard prospects. Um, you know, that's whether fair. they man in comparison, whether they manage yeah. to get that. Yeah, like if they manage to get that guy at eight, like maybe Killian Hayes or something. Oh, you're speaking oh. Um, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's my guy. Right, he's our guy too. He's <laughs> a lot of us. Um, a, a little stuff would need to happen, but let's say maybe they get him at eight, or maybe they you know do the trade up scenario into the middle of the round, take like Kyra Lewis, um, or someone like that, or you know maybe they just wait until those other picks and they take like. Uh, uh, like Malachi Flynn or or uh, Trey Jones or you know someone like that. Like yeah. they just add another point guard to the roster. Um, I just think that they wouldn't then be like, let's give up like actual assets for Dennis Schroeder, who at that point it would just kind of be telegraphed. Like OKC doesn't want him; he's expiring after this year. There's no guarantee of him sticking around after the year. So like you're paying for a rental of a player whose utility is in question who's you know a microwave scorer that can't really defend and that's about it yeah um, so no i so. get where you're coming from that um yeah. i think true to me it just sounds like the fit really isn't there uh, i think that's Schroeder, mostly what it is Schroeder yeah. would probably be better fit on a team that needs his services as the microwave scorer and not a guy to run the offense mm-hmm. with that being said you said like a second round pick i think if the if the thunder got rid of chris paul um, Danil Gallinari is done with a sign and trade or they just let him walk and then Dennis no longer fits on the team at that point like I think maybe the lowest they would go uh, and this is just me speculating pulling stuff out of my ass but like the that 2021 Charlotte second rounder do you think sure. that would be a possibility yeah, I think that that might. You know what I mean? That's that's what I'm talking about as far as like a second round. Like the Knicks don't really have like a crap second rounder <laughs> coming and, up. And, and this could also be again Schroeder just being absorbed into Knicks cap space, where the Thunder mm-hmm. don't have to bring anything back in return, thus yes. lowering their their. No, they won't be having a tax bill next year, but lowering mm-hmm. how much money they have to pay out, which I think they that's probably want point. to after paying the tax for forever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely a possibility. And. You know, I mentioned the Knicks sort of have a glut of picks over the Like, they have, depending on how things shake out next year, obviously, but I think it's pretty safe to say that the Hornets and the uh, Pistons will probably be among the 10 worst teams in the league next year. So, most likely, they have seven picks in the top 40 in the next two years, the Knicks do. Um, as long as Charlotte or Detroit doesn't, like, way overplay what is projected of them. Yeah, I don't think we have to worry about that. I don't think we do either. <laughs> so if that's the case and that's how things go, uh, I think that we're, you know, I, I think that the Knicks would be fine with being like, yeah, the Hornets one probably projects to be the the lesser of those two picks after Detroit, like, tanks their life away this next year. Um, and they might be like, you know what, for Schroeder, for that scoring punch at the guard spot, it, you know, maybe we'll give that a shot. And I, I think maybe they'd be into that. So, like, that's a deal that if you put that on my desk, if I was a Knicks GM, I might be like, let me call you back in a couple of days. But I would certainly think long and hard and, like, maybe go for it. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, Taylor, did you have something? No. No. You're good. Okay. I- well, uh, I have one more I want to do before we got get off of here um, as we're we're running a little late here. Oh, it's fine. I got all day <laughs> and all night. For Alex, and all last night. one, and and this one is probably one you're gonna have to propose to us, okay? But okay. if we're if we're putting our GM hats on, um, as Sam Presti, I am calling the Knicks front office, and I'm asking, 
what do you want from us for the number eight overall pick in the 2020 draft? Oh, now we're talking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, my first first question would be like, are picks off the table? No. Um, Picks are not off the table. Um, but obviously we're going to be uh, pretty stingy because that's how we're going to build our team moving forward. So picks are not off the table, but um, there's going to be some heavy negotiation with those picks. Okay. I mean, so I'm looking through like the... <laughs> the 10 the, pages of picks uh, that the Thunder have? Yeah, and all these <laughs> damn stipulations. Right, exactly, uh, exactly. I'm actually, I'm thinking what would probably maybe be enough to get it done for me. I'm just looking here. We'll see if the. Oh wow! <laughs> Whoa! That's nasty. All right. So they get this the is going to most... be the segment we promote. Is just Alex going through OKC's plethora. <laughs> saying, of oh shit! They have that and that. <laughs> okay, so so next year they get the two most favorable of their own, Miamis and Houston's. Correct. Woo. Alex is like you right. stingy mother. All I'm saying is, you, you were talking about a, a a broken ankle from Luca. All we need is for James Harden to, uh, you know, spend too long at the strip club, uh, <laughs> yeah. break his hand, and then to hire pick. the wrong coach for Tita not to yeah. spend any it, money on a coach. Everything yeah. to it explode. It does look like Houston. Houston's is protected one to four, but that's not. I don't think that's going to come into play. Yeah, no, no. Where but, the one through four protections for Houston comes into play, I legitimately think are those picks that the Thunder have from Houston. Uh, in like 2026. 2024 and 2026, yep. yeah, that might become a problem because Houston's youngest player is 26 years old, yeah, and they don't yeah. control any of their own picks anymore. I, so, all right, so if you guys are looking to get the number eight pick this year, so this year the Thunder don't control their own pick; it's only Denver's currently. Yes, 25th. they have the 25th pick from Denver. Uh, they're 20. They're they're 20. The Thunder's 2020 first rounder would have been pick 21, uh, but that got traded to Philly uh, in the Jeremy Grant deal. Funny enough, uh-huh. they got the 25th pick from Denver for Jeremy Grant. Okay, all right. I think like I think there's a real world where I would look at what's on the table from OKC here, and I might just look pretty short term. Like I'm not going to try to do the whole thing. Like your guys front office just did where you set for the next like 15 years on draft picks. Um, I would, okay. I'm curious what you guys would think of this. The number eight pick this year for, for that 25th pick. Uh, and then whatever the least favorable. So I guess the way I would put it since, since OKC gets the two most favorable out of themselves, Houston and the Clippers, and Miami. I'm sorry, year. Miami. Yes, yeah. Whatever that middle pick is, that one. So yep. agree to like the second most favorable pick out of the three picks. Whatever that one ends up being, that pick comes over along with pick 25. That would probably be a deal I'd make. Um, based off feeling pretty strong about next year's draft class. I I do that for the number eight pick this year, and I probably would still give you guys a Hamadou Diallo or a Tance Ferguson. Yeah, and I would probably ask for that as a sweetener. I would be like, I, you know, can you shoot over like Diallo or Ferguson? We, we won't and, even talk about Baisley or Dort, but we will give you like a Ferguson or a Diallo. No, I think Dort's got to be off the oh, table yeah. at this oh, point, yeah. going from two-way player to and same. Honestly, freaking, same for Baisley. I mean, Thunder fans are yeah. very high on Baisley. Um, he's, he's not off the table by any means, um, but in a trade like this, I think those two are probably 
uh, unless you're willing to throw in additional draft picks, probably off the table, and then you throw in a guy like a Terrence Ferguson or a Hamadou Diallo. Um, yeah, I, I'll go Ferguson. That. Let's say Ferguson. Yeah, okay, yeah, no, fair, I, I'd be fair. into that. I think that would be Definitely. like fair. Because then that leaves the Knicks still. I mean, obviously, a lot of the fan base would probably be ready to like call the burn down yeah, Madison right. Square Garden. Because, Why would you trade like, the eighth oh, God, pick for Terrence Ferguson? Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, I get like, that. Like, oh, we're out of the lottery now. But the reality then becomes, okay, well, you're not necessarily out of the lottery because now if you have a smart GM who's, you know, going to keep making phone calls, now you have pick 38, pick 27, and pick 25. And you trade up. You could trade up, get back to around, like, pick 14 or something this year. You know, see if you can swing something to get there. Maybe take, like, Kyra Lewis, and then you've got your point guard prospect. You've got uh, Terrence Ferguson, who's a really good you know, potential three and D player and, you know, just bolsters this defensive stable of players that you now are handing to Tom Thibodeau. And then you end up with not two, but three first round picks next year in 2021, which is supposed to be one of the most stacked drafts since like 2003. Yeah. Um, And, you know, the potential, you know, your potential on that pick that you receive back from OKC is capped by the fact that no matter what, you're getting the second most favorable out of those three picks. But like, still, that that means that one tenth of the first round is considered in that equation. And if two of those teams happen to suck, like OKC being one of them, you know, OKC might suck, and then you know Houston might decide to kind of fire sale and have a bad year, or um, you know Miami might. I, I mean, I doubt. <laughs> or why? PG decide to go somewhere else because it's not working out and the Clippers are terrible. (laughs) Like, you never know. So there's all these different factors in play as far as where that pick can end up. And, you know, maybe the Knicks end up with a pick that's just outside the lottery. And then you have, like, you know, wherever the Knicks pick ends up, which would probably still be pretty bad. Um, You know, they'd be fighting with the Thunder for the top pick of the draft. But then, you know, you might end up with two picks, like, inside the top 20 but just outside of the lotto with the Mavericks and whatever that second pick are and you're positioned in a really good way next year where you still have you know then you'd have five draft picks in the top 40 next year yeah like that's awesome that's fantastic stuff and see my thoughts always been with those 2021 first rounders for the Thunder that that is the year that they can probably go get their star there's a there's a big feeling around Oklahoma City that Shea Gilgis Alexander is probably like your C.J. McCollum uh, and not your Dame Lillard, and your your chance to for the Thunder to suck next year, and then maybe you get lucky with like Houston being bad and you package those picks. Maybe the Thunder get pick four and Houston gets pick fifteen, and you package those two to move up to to pick two or to pick one, and you go get um, you know one of those guys that we've mentioned at the top of this podcast. Uh, so I think the only way the Thunder would would do that their first or the Denver first this year plus one of those 2021 picks would be there would have to be a guy available there at eight that is Presti's guy in this draft that that that's the dude he is pushing his chips in for. Uh, I don't know who that guy would be. Um, I think uh, oh you like, sure like you do. Mentioned, <laughs> tell, oh God, yeah, tell I, me I, I know. Love. Well, I love a few people at the top of this draft, but I don't think Presti loves Denny Avdia as much as I do. Um, I don't think anyone uh, on the I don't planet think loves Denny Avdia anyway. as much as I do. Um, yeah. I love Denny as well, but I don't think he's making it to eight. Yeah, yeah. neither do yeah. I. Um, I why am I going blank? The the kid from Germany we talked about. Killian, Killian Hayes. Hayes. If Killian is there, Killian Hayes is there, um, 
you know, maybe that's a Presty guy. Presty loves overseas guys. Halliburton with Shea would be a ton of fun. Like, there's a lot of options Yeah, I think there. Halliburton has more of a defined ceiling, though. I think Killian True. being so young, being able to make all those passes, being a lefty, that just I just mean if Hayes Presti's is already mold. gone. Like, I, it, it, oh. if it's between Hayes and Halliburton, you take Hayes every day. But. Yeah, I also like a Kongwu a lot, Agreed. so. But I, th- well, I think the— would be a great fit for you guys. Oh, yeah, I, I would— to that me, Okongwu is a avenue. young young Serge Ibaka with mm-hmm. some Bayam Adebayo spice in there. Well, I think, okay, tell me what you guys think about this. This is, like, not Knicks-related at all. But, if you, well, I guess it is in the sense of if you trade up for that pick. <laughs> Let's say Okongwu is available. You know, you take Okongwu, that opens up another avenue to trade Steven Adams, potentially. Yeah, I don't know what the market for Steven Adams is. But he's got he's got what one year left. Yeah, that's true. So that's a good point. If it's you expiring. needed to trade him for somebody who wants twenty twenty one cap space, then you know I think the Thunder trade Adams for a, a somebody who's you know under contract for three more years. You I mean, you toss an asset in there, and then now you have twenty twenty one cap space. I mean, let me just say this much: like <laughs> to make fun of our uh, our New York neighbors. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a team did just hand out DeAndre Jordan mm-hmm. a four-year, $40 million Oof, contract. That makes a lot that of sense. And, that um, is true. Believe it or not. So I, for one year, Steven Adams and those, like, intangible, like, tough guy, like, you know, 10 points and 10 rebounds and shot blocking and all that crap, you know, you right. might find someone that's willing to buy into that and give you, like, a second-round pick or something. I don't think Steven was for, any reason why Katie left either. I mean, I, I think they had a – a good relationship. Steven's a little blindsided, but that could be. Well, amended. I don't know. Good. Re- I don't know if they had a relationship because oh, okay. I think yeah. Stephen Adams found out that Kevin Durant left whenever somebody called him and said, "Hey, Kevin Durant left." Like he's two days all ESPN or something. Yeah. I mean, he, he even, showed up. Not, he showed back up to the states and was like, "Oh, mate, where's Kevin Durant at?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not even implying that like the Nets would trade for him. I'm just saying like there is there's precedent there. There's weirdly a market like trade or free agency wise for bigs that are kind of washed up and suck um that adams could potentially slide right on into (laughs) that's a good point that's a good point yeah so all right well gentlemen this has been fun uh any last thoughts before we jump out of here sorry i don't know why i'm already playing the outro music that wasn't in the outro music that was (laughs) no that was another (laughs) podcast outro music my bad um but any parting thoughts on any of these these trades before uh before we hop off of here i guess like my my closing thing here would be it's gonna be really interesting to see how this all plays out i do think I I think that where there's smoke there's fire in a lot of cases. That's so a good I point. do think I do think that the Knicks and the Thunder are gonna be talking a lot. Um, <laughs> they've already if, talked. Maybe they've right? already talked. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. If they're not already, like off the record, they've probably talked already. Um, Those like, GMs had to have record, something to do for four months whenever everything was shut down. Yeah. Exactly. Like phone calls are definitely being made. Like you know, CBA skirting conversations are already happening. Um, you know, things of that nature and. You know, I, I wouldn't be. I guess my overall thing is I don't know for sure what to make of the Chris Paul rumors. But if the Knicks decide to make this trade, it would be very telling of what they're prioritizing. If they decide against making this trade, with all these things that we know in hand about Leon Rose's relationship mm-hmm. with Chris mm-hmm. Paul and all the you know all the intangible qualities they bring to the team, whatever that we've already talked about. 
you know, I think it'll also be very telling of what the Knicks' direction is. Exactly. And how they it's almost their it's almost their first and, test as a ownership. Or, yes. Sorry, not ownership as a front office group. As as a front office, yeah. So this is like one of their first tests, and and we'll see how they do. Um, I I will just say though, like from just an Alex Wolf perspective on the whole Chris Paul thing, I have sort of I I went through a period for at least a few weeks there during the endless office where you were all where in. I was like, where I was like, I think this is the right move. I think this is the way to go. Like maybe it was honestly, it was probably during that stretch when OKC was playing well against Houston in the first round, like almost won that series and all that stuff. I was like, damn, let's do it. Let's get Chris Paul. Like this is going to be so fun. And then the, the more time that's gone on since then, I've, I've sobered up a little bit off that Chris Paul high and realized like, I don't think this really makes the most sense for the Knicks. Like, if the Knicks were in any other situation, like, if they were even, like, uh, on the verge of being a pseudo-contender, like, even if even if this meant that the Knicks would be the, the mid-2000s Hawks and just be, like, a perennial five seed for two, three years with Chris Paul and play fun basketball and maybe upset someone once in the playoffs or something... And have a good time. I'd probably be down with it. Based off where the Knicks are right now. Which is like a team that if they make minimal moves this offseason. Will be competing for the number one pick next year. I just. I, I can't really sell myself on it. It's. I, I just think that. You know based off everything that you guys talked about too. Of like next year is the year to go try to find that franchise superstar. Um, I think that they should keep. They should keep their options as open as possible as far as trying to secure that top pick and i don't know if chris paul is part of that um because i think that chris paul just by nature of himself along with pairing him with a freaking basketball maniac like tom thibodeau um would ensure that the knicks would be like at minimum you know competing for the eight seed next year and i don't think that that's an outcome that i'm particularly in love with considering i think it well then fine alex we'll hang up this here podcast and we'll call our friends over at the milwaukee bucks podcast and the sixers podcast and we'll leverage them against you (laughs) just as press you know actually you should i'll tell you what you can you can call me onto those podcasts that's right we'll do a mega podcast i'm all in yeah i'll i'll pretend like i really want chris paul as the name (laughs) drive up the price for us now we're talking And, and then you guys will remember that down the road. And, and we'll, we'll do you a favor. That's, that's a exactly times, you know what right. I'm saying. It's the NBA game. We're just playing it. We should be GMs. <laughs> we should, really. 100%, yes. Um, well, here, so let's pump some outro music and get out of here. Alex, while the outro music plays, will you please tell everybody on our side where they can find you at? Sure thing. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at the Alex Wolf. Um, I would encourage you to also follow the Strickland, where I am editor in chief. Uh, it's at the Strickland on Twitter or the Strick.land. We have a lot of long form Knicks pieces, really good stuff there. Also, co host Locked on Knicks. Uh, you can find us at Locked on Knicks on Twitter and anywhere you stream podcasts. And I do a little bit of writing for posting and toasting as well. So you can check that out too. Awesome. Well, man, thank you so much for joining us. We had a blast talking Knicks basketball with you, although we never really came to a lot of consensus on some of these trades. It's always great to get a separate perspective. So make sure you guys go check out Alex's work, check out his podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We will be back with you again with our normally scheduled Monday show. Until then, stay safe, wash your hands, wear your mask. Enjoy the rest of your week. We will talk to you guys soon. Thunder up.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com